morning, good evening, good night, wherever or whoever you may be. I'm Alan Arante, and this is The Recluse Podcast. Today's guest is Jordan Ward. His credentials include an AA from Oxnard College, a bachelor's degree in psychology, and a master's degree in education counseling from Channel Islands. Jordan recently organized a public event titled The Talk. The discussion focused on police brutality. The panel consisted of Jordan Ward himself, Dexter of Hip Hop Help, City Manager Alex Nguyen, Ross Fonts, Chief of Police Chief Whitney, and guest speaker Quentin Floyd, the cousin of George Floyd. In this conversation, we discuss Jordan's psychology background, the famous Stanford prison experiment, we discuss subtle and blatant forms of racism, the ways in which people attempt to make black people feel comfortable, which comes off as obvious and disingenuous. We talk about his grandfather and the impact that he had on his life, and we discuss the problems and solutions related to police enforcement in today's society. You may notice a few hard cuts in the tape and some telephonic interference throughout the conversation, but that just comes with the territory of doing these remote interviews. It is the price I'm willing to pay for these conversations. It was my privilege to pick the brain of the magnetic force that is Jordan Ward. I can't wait to have a cup of coffee with him and talk again after this COVID business is through. It is my honor and privilege to present to you a portrait of Jordan Ward. One of the first times I think I've ever been pulled over, and I kid you not, I'm going to speed limit, I'm doing everything right, you know, lights are on, seatbelts on. The officer, the officers on the PCH have like hiding spots. Um, and I didn't see them. So here's this car, you know, lonely on the PCH, past like Zuma Beach, I would say. And they roll up on me on the side of me. They like wow. get really fast. They flashed the light on me. Oh my God, as you're driving. No, at first they were behind me. Yeah, as I'm, so they, they check out my license plate, right? And then they're like, okay. Then they zoom up, flashed the light on me, saw that I was black, stopped immediately, pulled back, and then pulled me over. Wow. So they thought, um, I believe they thought that the car was stolen. Oh my God. It was like, there's no, yeah. They, there was no way that this black guy and then the tags, I mean, uh, on the on the license plate was, you know, this clean guy, you know. Oh my so god! So they were like, "Is the car stolen?" And I was like, "Why would I be driving a stolen car?" I was like, "No, my name is on this car," you know. So I gave him all my information, and honestly, bro, it was crazy because, uh, you know, you can tell they felt stupid. But I was like, look at the lengths that you guys go through, like, you know, just to, just with this targeting. Like, that was, that's not wow. the first time that happened, you know, with me. And what does yeah. it feel like when you, you know, so the cops get back in their car, they take off, you know, are you feeling violated? Are you feeling like you were just, you know, psychologically abused in some way? How does that feel? I, I didn't feel psychologically abused. I immediately felt sorry for them. Wow. It, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, like, oh, I'm angry because, you know, I was just like, man, this, I, I feel bad that they feel that way or mm -hmm. they feel like they have to do that. Um, 
And I don't know, at the time, I was like, I don't know where that comes from. Um, and, and from jump, for me, I've, I've always been against racism. I, I can't stand it. Yeah. Uh, that's why I got into doing what I want what I'm doing now. Like, mm. I literally cannot stand it because there are differences, but I want to know, like, what makes them think that, you know, like, that's okay. You know, I, I don't. Yeah. Uh, so I don't it, understand. So it, I was curious. I was um, learning a little bit about you a lot from the talk video mm-hmm. on YouTube that you um, yeah. that you put out a little while ago. And uh, you mentioned in your introduction yes. that you were uh, you you graduated from Oxnard College with an AA. You then went to Channel Islands yeah. um, and got a, a bachelor's in psychology and then go on yeah. to get a master's in education counseling. Um, it's interesting the yes. way you're posing these thoughts. You're saying, you know, you're wondering how what makes them think like that. Do you feel like your psychology right. background comes into play at all with this work? All the time. All the time. It's, it's why I have the scope I have instead of having a um, – it's because psychology is the study of the brain, which is like go into the study of behavior. Mm-hmm. And now I'm – because I work in special education – we deal with behavior all the time, but this oh, is yeah. a different type of behavior. You know, this is a, I'm starting, I'm starting to notice that racism is a certain type of behavior um, where it's almost like, uh, <laughs> wow, like almost from a, like a narcissistic point of view. Yes. But just so blatantly, like <laughs> some people are so blatantly racist and wow. then, you know, we have Trump coming out and he like, you know, enables it, you know, like, ooh, it's okay, you know? Yeah, he's so normalizing. Like, but California is a little bit more. Yeah, he's normalizing the racism. And, um, you know, just having a lot of talks about that and just, just looking at it from a behavioral view. Oh my goodness. That's interesting. That's a very, yeah. I, I don't hear that a lot, actually. Racism as a, as a behavior. Right. It's a behavior. Yeah. It is a behavior. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting yeah. because you were talking about like overt racism being a behavior. And it makes me think that more subtle racism, although it is manifested in subtle behavior, I think there's also, it goes back mm-hmm. to the psychology component where it's really brain activity as well. It's, Brain activity manifested yes. in behavior, and that's interesting. Right. Well, I mean, so I know that uh, I had multiple uh, multiple discussions with people recently from who are you know behaviorists or um, who are MFTs and stuff like that. And what's um, an MFT? They're trying a marriage family therapist. Ah, okay. You know, they have the their license licensed marriage family therapist. Okay. Um. <laughs> So pretty much um, they're trying to psychology component on racism, which a lot of people don't agree with. Mm. Now, a lot of these people are have a religious background, correct? Yes, yes. You know, people do read the Bible. And from what I get from the Bible and what they get from it could be two different things. (laughs) However, 
some messages some messages are so clear in the Bible, right? Right. So I was arguing with someone that they are reading the scriptures of Bibles where it tells you to love all men and love thy neighbor and all this other stuff, but they choose not to do it. So for me, looking at it from a psychological standpoint, they're choosing to not they're choosing not to obey something that they believe in. That right there is a behavior. Oh God. Right? You know what I mean? Like that is an active you're actively (laughs) not choosing to obey that, but why? But they don't like black skin, but why don't yeah, I wonder. Th- I wonder if they even know, though. They 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 claim and they proclaim that they believe it, and they they'll t- you know they'll go tooth mm-hmm. and nail with you to tell you they believe it, but their behavior speaks otherwise. Right. Exactly. That makes no sense to me, right? So behaviorally, I'm like, wait a minute. I want to know why. Why? Like, what makes you like in those moments when you're reading this, and then you think of. Black Lives Matter, you always you want to say all lives matter, you know, right. like stuff like that. Um, I'm curious what uh, to go back a little bit. What drew you to psychology mm-hmm. in the first place? Oh, man. Uh, so I, I'll go as early as speaking with my grandfather. Mm. And he was the first one that opened my brain to think because my grandfather grew up in the East coast in Connecticut and they look um, how they grew up because his father was uh, a German and something else. And so, but he looked white, but (laughs) made sure that all his kids knew that they were black. Right. But they all are very light, light complected. Mm -hmm. So he would tell me, he said, Hey, Watch, uh, watch, watch people's body movements when you're walking towards them. <laughs> watch how the lady switch. Watch how the old lady switches her purse over when you're walking. Oh my goodness! Watch how the man doesn't look you in the eye. And then, oh my, when he told me that and I experienced it, I started like clocking it in, you know. <laughs> so right there, I was like, huh? Like, and how old are you around difference. that time? And then. I want to say I was like eight, between eight and nine. Like he opened me up. Quick. And you were oblivious um, beforehand, before he had said it. And beforehand, you, you bro. Think about it. I no, I'm telling you right now, I grew up not even recognizing that I was uh, a different in color. Wow. Mm. You know, like I, I, I wasn't like, oh my gosh, you're white, I'm black. Like we're different. Like <laughs> it, it, I didn't even, it, it didn't even matter to me. Right, that's almost how it should be. Open that up. It it should be. You're right. It should be that way. And but he he opened that up for me, not to like, hey, you know, you're black and or you're, you know, and they're white and they don't like us. It's almost like just be aware of it. So then I I went to high school, and I this is a different um, story. But when I would go to high school, a lot of people would openly tell me their problems that they had with one another uh, or just within themselves interesting and a part of a part of psychology is listening oh yeah and that's one of the skills that <laughs> that i have now is that i can listen and a lot of people don't need you 
to respond. They just need you to listen, you know? Oh, so, man. yeah. So from there, I was like, okay, I think that's something that I can see myself doing. Um, wow. So you just had this nature yeah, about went, you. Yeah. People just felt like yes, they could confide yeah. in you and it sort of, this sort of just manifested into a career for you. Yeah. Yeah. You have no idea how many people that I just meet are so comfortable <laughs> with telling me things that I've never asked about. Within what you know? minutes, like, you know, even... people will start breaking things down for you within minutes of being around you, not even knowing who you are. Yeah. Not even knowing really who I am. <laughs> um, they just, they just break it down. And I guess they, I, I have such an, I have a, such a, uh, an accepting nature. You're like, I don't, mm. you know, I don't care what you look like or, you know, your background and, I'm all about culture. I love experiencing different cultures. So I'm open to meeting new people all the time. Um, so so I, I make people. F- yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. You, you make people feel comfortable. No, I'm just saying, and- I was going to say I make people feel comfortable and relaxed around me. Like there is no bias. I'm not judging you. Oh, you and know, that, I feel like that's rarer and rarer, you know, in this world. Like, you know, it's so easy to feel to put yourself in a shell and, you know, you see somebody not acknowledge you at all. Like I have this experience at the skate park often, and it could just be my sensitivity or my insecurity, but I, I have this thing where I um, try to acknowledge people, you know, I don't want to just pretend like you're not there if we're in the same room, depending on the situation. And um, I get this sensitivity about me at the skate park when uh, a lot of times, I, I don't know what it is about skateboarding, but sometimes people have this like bravado or something where, it's a weakness to acknowledge the other. And it, you know, it, it, sometimes my feelings are hurt. It's like, Hey, aren't I somebody around you? And, um, and, and right. I, so I try to give people that gift of acknowledgement, you know, like, Hey, I see you. And I just want to say what's yeah. up to let you know, I'm not a threat. I, I'm here to be a friend. Um, and it sounds like people notice that about you, that you're just, I don't know, this, this caring, and uh, all ears kind of person. Right. And some people don't want to see that in other people, you know, like, mm. uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm starting this new thing that uh, I will be launching really soon. It's called me and my skit. Now there's me, the person, and then there's everything that my skin comes along with, with stereotypes. Ooh, interesting. And, and that, that not only that your own culture places on you, but other cultures place on you too. So when they see me, they see everything that my black skin represents, oh, wow. but they think that represents and not knowing me. So when they meet me, I break down all of their stereotypes. I brought, I blow mm. them away because you're, <laughs> you're not, you're, you only know bias and stereotypes about me and my black skin and not necessarily knowing me, the person. So when I put out that vibe, it's easier for them to open up and talk to me and I'm really <laughs> accepting. So. 
Yeah. Wow. Do you get this? I read this book recently. Um, I, God, I hope I'm not getting the name wrong. It's by uh, Franz Fanon, and it's called Black Skin, White Masks. I think that's the title. But in mm. it, in it, he describes this uh, feeling as a black man. You know, he was he wrote this in like I want to say the 40s or something like that. Um, and he right. describes this experience of being in a train, and you know, a little white boy, you know being frightened and gripping his mother's like arm and saying, I'm frightened, I'm frightened. And he's just, you know, by the way, he's educated and, you know, there's nothing threatening about him other than the fact that he's black. And he has this experience mm -hmm. of not just being an individual, but being three people at the same time. And what he means is he's one, he, he's one, uh, a representation of his ancestors. Two, he's a representation of his skin. And um, mm -hmm. I'm forgetting the third, but basically the point is, is that he doesn't just exist as an individual, but he's always representing. Oh, it's his race. That's the third one. He's always representing his race and his ancestors. As a black man, do you feel like right. you're not just yourself, but you're always having to represent black people in general? Well, yes and no. So. I, I, I know that my views are different from other black people. So I can't say that I always represent them. But what I will say is that I know that I'm, I know that other people will put me in a box along with other black people. So how I, represent myself also could represent them mm. because they're not looking at us as individuals. And I, I will tell you that, you know, there is a lot of differences within black communities already. Yes. Um, so I can't say that I represent black people, you know, right. wholeheartedly. But I do represent my family, of course, um, and, and and I'm proud of that. I'm proud of of what I've already been doing, and I'm at peace with that. Like I, I don't feel like I'm doing anybody wrong. Yeah, but that just comes with conversation. Yeah. So, for instance, um, this is like an I, I'm about to ask like an awful question, but it, it I'm reminded of ahead, it. This it. I'm reminded of this question by the the um that that uh, piece of the book that I just uh, referenced where the child's afraid uh, mm -hmm. and grips his mom because just because he's in the presence of a black person. Um, some people, mm -hmm. they they almost want to ask, like, you know, how do I act around a black person? You know, you were mentioning how people like will grip their purse and they they'll go to the other side of the road. So if someone were to ask mm -hmm. you, you know, how do I know? And I know it's a terrible question, but how do I act around a black person? You know, what do you say to that kind of question? Um, like I said, they come with bias. They come with, yes. um, with stereotypes and, and I think that shapes how they're supposed to act. So they try hard uh, not yes. to act that way. <laughs> but as a, as a, as a black, as a black person, no, you see it. Oh my gosh. Yes. I, I see it all the time. <laughs> you know, they're trying to be 
overly comfortable, but I know they're not comfortable. <laughs> and, and then, you know, like, uh, like, like you see guys who would never give you a, like a, like a head nod or what's up. And then they do that. And it's like, well, I didn't, I didn't need that. You know what right. I mean? I just need a, Hey, hello. <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah, like they just try to make you like overly feel comfortable. But in re- reality, they're not comfortable. Oh my god! <laughs> and and I'm, I, you know, I see it all the time. Like, oh, that was funny. <laughs> I'm not offended. I'm not offended. I just think it's uh it's interesting because those same people probably don't speak or know any black people right. to have those conversations, mm. or even if they do, they haven't had the conversation. So I, I, I'm like, I tell, I tell people all the time, especially in this day and age, the conversation needs to be had. Whatever mm-hmm. you're feeling, I, we should speak about it. Yes. And I, if they haven't, if they have an ear to listen, then so should we. And then we should also educate one another. I, I don't see what right. the problem is with that. So, you know, th- there's this issue of black people. So I, so I've seen mm-hmm. where, you know, everybody treats them as if they're like these educators, you know, like you have all the answers about racism oh. just because you're black. It's, you know, yeah. how, how do you feel about that? Okay. So I feel now, now I will tell you, there are some black people who are like, no, go educate yourself. Right. 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 But there are also people like me who are willing to have the conversation no matter how, no matter how many times you re- you're repeating yourself or whatever. Yes. Yes. The conversation needs to be had. It needs to happen. So I, I wouldn't say that, you know, it's a, it's a bad thing. I, I look at it as opportunity. It's mm. opportunity right now because they're willing to listen. Mm. So we can't be. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of black people out there who are like, ah, they're never going to get it, you know, <laughs> the kind of thing. And, but I, 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 my mentality and, and, you know, me being positive and I would like to believe if the person is reaching out to you, then that's a, that's a good sign. They want to understand, even though they'll never understand it, or at least they want to try to understand. So yeah. I think it's, it's my obligation to mm. try to get them to understand, you know, it's, I, I look at it as a something that, you know, we should try to do, you know, as, yeah. as much as possible. I think I, I wonder sometimes if, um, and I'm just speculating, I don't, I don't know anything for sure, but I'm just speculating, speculating out loud. I, I wonder if some people in that position, like non black people, when they approach a black person with these conversations and, these questions. I, I I wonder if there's some fraction of those people who want to just be absolved of their racism by being by asking these questions. You know, they feel they they feel guilty for not engaging with mm-hmm. people of color and by by in, interacting with a black person and asking these questions, they feel absolved of their subtle racism. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a bad thing, mm-hmm. even if that's the case? Listen, uh, <laughs> whatever, whatever baby steps they take, I think <laughs> you should take. Uh, uh, so it's, if that's how they feel, 
And honestly, I, I'm a firm believer that no subtle racism or racism, they're not going to come out and say exactly mm-hmm. how they feel 100% of the time. So, but I think that just makes them a little bit more comfortable with being around black people. Mm. Not that they're 100% comfortable, but just to say that little thing or ask that little question, it, it makes yeah. the just a little bit closer and okay, I'm getting out of my way a little bit. I extended mm. my hand. I, you know, but yes, yes. maybe it can go further. Over time, it will go further. So it's a small win. <laughs> And it's very small. It's minuscule. But, you know, I think it's not enough, but it's to start in the right direction. Mm. So before yeah. we get I want to ask you some questions about your grandfather and about your uh, the event yeah, you recently yeah. organized the talk. But before we get to that, I yes, have a couple yes, more yes. questions about um, your psych- psychology background. Um so first of all, yeah, um, you were, you know, you got a, a bachelor's in psychology. So obviously you took a bunch of psychology courses. Yes. Um, what were you interested oh, in? Did, yeah. you, did you like uh, <laughs> abnormal psychology, developmental, cognitive, social? What what areas in psychology really excited you? It's very interesting. Like uh, cognitive was very hard. <laughs> yeah. uh, taking taking it as a class, but it was very interesting. Um Behavioral neuroscience Oof. was, you know, just uh, uh, was so deep. But I took away a few things. Like nobody goes into that class and remembers everything. That came out of it. <laughs> but <laughs> but there is one thing that from the from the brain's perspective, and and, and you know how people say like we don't use you know a hundred our percent of our brains. Yeah, that crap. Yeah. You know, people say that. That is totally false. Uh, we use a hundred percent capacity of our brains. The, the brain is so amazing. It's such a supercomputer. It's you're, you're, you're getting feels from your nerve endings at the same time, like simultaneously doing other things while it's controlling all the rest of your organs. Mm-hmm. And you know, the brain is just, it's just amazing. Now, as far as like, um, behavior goes, like I, um, I took a class on, it was called psychology and religion. Ooh. That class, that class blew me away. <laughs> I, I'm a student of, I'm a student of, of psychology on across the board. So I've worked in, um, a lot of areas where you're you're diagnosing or mm. you know you're doing with you know children's behavior um but this side psychology of religion class was very interesting to me because it broke down um why people in religion how they are they they can either use god against you mm-hmm. or they use it as a weapon and and that, that, it just broke down like the, uh, the attachments of, you know, to God and, and how they use it against one another. Wow. Um, so 
Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't say like there's one area mm. in particular in psychology where it's like, oh man, like <laughs> that's the one for me. But I, I, I like, I liked all of them. Some I liked people, all, all the aspects <laughs> of it. Some people are uh, firm behaviorists in the sense where they they think that mm. every movement I make. Like, for instance, is literally a consequence of my environment and my circumstances. Do you believe that or, or do you think that humans have more free will than that? Free will. That's interesting. <laughs> um, I, I, I believe the environment shapes you a little bit. But it all depends how much you let that environment influence you, you know. So I was fortunate enough. I grew up, you know, my mother is amazing. She's very intelligent. And but she's also religious. But she never that the village that you grew up in, she never really forced religion on down my throat. Mm -hmm. Let me figure out my own. And I think we I think you have to take that approach like. Um, the idea of when I, the first time I heard someone say that there is no God, I, that scared the hell out of me. Right. <laughs> so, so, but I did my own research, you know, it's like she allowed me to do my own research. And when I went to college, it was really eye opening because science is fact based mm-hmm. and religion is so faith based. Yes. And I had, I walked away with questions on both sides, you know? So, um, I think you educating yourself, if you want to educate yourself and not just believe wholeheartedly in your village that, that is raising you. I mean, you take those experiences for what they are, but you also should want to educate yourself. So I don't believe mm-hmm. the environment totally shapes mm-hmm. me all the way. Right. But it does play a hand in it. I would say 50 percent. So, you know, you took a bunch of psychology courses and I imagine you you took a lot away with you when you finished that bachelor's. Um, Are there any or I get are or were there any um, psychologists or theories um, or even experiments that you really just think about still? Um, I'll just give you a couple examples because I took maybe I think three psychology uh, courses at Channel Islands. And my God, I Mm -hmm. I took so much away from them. So you as a major must have taken even more. For instance, I'll um, just reference a couple. I really like Piaget, for example. I really, um, okay, yeah. I really like these, uh, the next couple experiments that I'm going to list, which are very famous, of course. So you don't have to have an education Mm -hmm. to to know about them. Um, So Pavlov's dog, for instance, you know, that behaviorist, um, experiment and then Milgram's experiment, you know, where he uh, has teacher and learners and one of them is shocking the other. So they think, and it's like an experiment about human, uh, human humans and how, you know, how willing we are to hurt each other just because uh, an authority is telling us, or then the uh, Stanford prison experiment where, uh, you know, power again. So, uh, so just in general, are there any, Are there any experiments or theorists that you really just think about still? The prison experiment was so like, wow, you know, um, 
you know, you, you gave these guys a uniform <laughs> and then they totally abused that power, you know, and that's not even who they were, um, as, as people, but wow. like that one was so like, and I, and I, to this day, you know, when I see that, like you put on a uniform and you, you you become this other person. And that's part of my, uh, when, when I, when I see officers now, I'm just like, mm. I wonder if that's really you oh or is that gosh. the uniform, you know, you know, like, wow. don't you think about that now? Oh, like, it, it's totally connected. It, it just is, has to be. It has to be like all of a sudden you put this uniform on and you're like this like person that just can feel like you can, you're invincible. And, but the, um, and the officers though, what's interesting is that they actually have power. So the experiment, though, the, right. you know, the officers in the experiment didn't actually have power. It was perceived power. Yes. And, and we saw the consequences yes. of just perceived power. Now imagine these police officers yes. who have actual power and lethal <laughs> force at their disposal. Yeah. It's frightening, honestly. Exactly. And it's frightening because they can use that at, at a, snap of a finger you know like they they know they have it it secures it they feel secure with it and you it's, know oh um, my gosh it's so frightening because that's the whole point of this whole problem we have now and it's always been a problem but you know all the the black lives matter movement and all the protests that's the point is that these cops mm-hmm. and and what's so what's even scarier is that even when they do commit what I would even call an atrocity against another person, they have the fist of the yeah. law behind them, supporting them, defending yes. them, protecting them, letting, yeah. you know, encouraging them on some level. And that's what's so scary about it. Right. So I took this class. It was a uh, social psychology. And I always tell this story because the person I worked with was in the class with me at the time. And she, the topic was, uh, aggression. Mm. Now she was saying that humans are aggressive by nature. And I was like, uh, I guess like I didn't really agree nor disagree. Um, but then she said police officers have to be aggressive. Mm. And I said, uh, excuse me. I'm the only one. First of all, I'm the only black person in this class. And two, I'm the only one that raised their hand in that class and disputed this. Oh, wow. So I was <laughs> like, uh, so you're, 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 so I went, I told the lady and I said, excuse me. Um, so you're telling me that cops have to be aggressive figures to wear to, to be a police officer. And she said, yes, absolutely. To say, she said, she used these words. To save someone's life, you have to be aggressive. Mm. I said, but you know what? Cops are not looked at as really good people. Do you think that's a good approach? <laughs> and so a lot of, it was, it was interesting. There was like, you know, some, some, um, Caucasian female. She turned around and she was like, have you ever had a good experience with the police officer? I said, mm. excuse me. No, I haven't. Wow. I said, to this day, if wow. they roll up on me, I panic and I did nothing wrong. Mm. She goes, Oh, well, I just feel really bad for you because I had really good experiences, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I said, That's good for you. Yeah. But 
in the neighborhoods that I grew up in and where I'm from and other um, poverty-stricken neighborhoods, cops are not looked at as good people. So I kid you not. Like my my whole point of view, and uh, like when I was trying to get with with that was, you can still be a kind person and still save someone's life. You can still be a kind person and pull out a gun and protect yourself and protect others. Yes. That to me, being aggressive had nothing to do with being a police officer. Mm. And when I tell you when they were looking at me, like I was crazy, it was so uncomfortable. Oh my gosh. Oh yes. Either I'm the, they were like, yeah, you have to be this way or else. And I was like, well, people get beat up and die for no reason because they're overly aggressive, you know, and that doesn't make any sense to me. So now we fast forward to now to all the killings that's been happening. And I, I promise you, I wish I can go back to that, that instructor <laughs> and ask her, what's her, what's her opinion now? Because mm. black people were dying for no reason. Hispanic men are getting beat up and and getting jumped by cops for no reason. And then white people who do something wrong, they're getting handed water. So mm. I was like, so what is, you know, what what's your views now? I wish, and then that person I was in the class with, I was like, you didn't even have my back. And she was like, I didn't agree with you then, but I see what you're saying now. I was like, mm. exactly. You know, like, I was like, that didn't make any sense to me. And that's one of the, when I, when I, wow. it, something that, of that experience, I still think about, like, I wonder if people still feel that way. Like cops have to be this aggressive figure when they should be, uh, more public figures. They should be more, I'm here to, to, I, I, I am you. I'm a part of you. I want this neighborhood to be, um, we we have to police the neighborhood together, not like me versus you. Uh, Chief Whitney said, every interaction we make with someone in the community is an opportunity to make a positive investment. So, uh, yes, I, I'm curious about. Yeah. So Chief Whitney seems to be on board with that concept that you just raised of, you know, it's not you yes. versus me. It should be us protecting each other. Um is there a yes. feasible, is there a feasible path to that? I mean, is that even possible? I believe it is. I believe it is. Um, for one, so what we're trying to do, me and a few other men, we were trying to. There are people who come to these neighborhoods like Oxnard who are not from here, and which is fine. I mean, you're an officer. You're an officer. However, to to be to police the people, you must know the people, right? Like, mm. if you're coming from Simi Valley, I don't expect you to come to Oxnard and know the population and know how to handle the population. For me, and what we're trying to do is get these officers with more rigorous training, not only diversity training to know your personnel so know the black community 
know the Hispanic community and don't come over here with your bias, you know, because honestly, what's how they're being, how they're policing. And I'm just using Oxnard as an example. Right, right. Um, because how they're policing, they obviously don't know how to handle the people. <laughs> they just think that we're all crazy. We're all crazy and we're all dangerous, right? Yeah. But that's not the case. Come out here and be with the people. So, uh, growing up, I'm sure you know about the, the PAL, right? The Police Activities League. Police Activities League is, is a recreational space that they have is at the old Oxnard High School on Fifth Street and I can't remember the other street name. Um, but it's off of Fifth near the fire station behind Vaughn's mm-hmm. on Fifth Street. And kids go there, they do sports, they have boxing tournaments there, they have all that recreational stuff there, and it's called the Police Activities League. Now, back in the day, police officers used to come through and help coach and be a part of the community. Now, from what I'm hearing, police officers don't show up there at all. Wow. So I'm sitting here thinking... The best way to be a part of the community, in my opinion, that's just one aspect, though. You send these officers who who are not uh, culturally diverse or, you know, they're not. Right, right. They don't have a lot of diversity under their belt. Send them there because those same kids that you're going to be working with are going to be the same kids that you're going to be seeing on the street. Yeah. You know, so. Go there, get to know these kids, get to know their situation, and that way you're not looking at all of us like a threat. You're not looking at us all that we're crazy. We just have differences amongst culture, mm. and our circumstances are different from where from Simi Valley to here. You know, like it's very different. I wouldn't expect them to know off top, but. You know, you should want to understand. Yeah. Instead of coming over here with your bias. So I, uh, one of the fellow officers had told me one time how there's a 23 foot rule or 21 feet that a black man can cover, can run after an officer. And if he doesn't get that gun out within the 21 feet, then he's done. That's an active police tactic that they use. And you said you didn't so say if I, you didn't say black man on accident. You you mean what you said? You said it. I mean, oh, I mean what I said. Yes. <laughs> that picture apply this. To other, yeah, go ahead. All they. Yeah, yeah. Picture this. I mean, I, I'm using I that that was the story that was told to me. Mm-hmm. Let's picture this, right? All you hear about black people is that they're big, they're strong, they're fast, right? <laughs> And then you view us as, and we're, then you're told that we're criminals. So when you approach the job and you're in come encounter with the black man, those are your thoughts. They're big, strong, fast, or dangerous. So of course the gun is going to get pulled mm-hmm. when that's all you feel like you know. You know, the, the, the mentality just needs to be changed. And that comes with cultural diversity, cultural understanding. Mm. You know, I'm not going to 
you know, walk into, uh, you know, uh, apply to a Mexican restaurant and not know the menu. Like, you know what I mean? It's <laughs> like, yeah. why wouldn't I know the menu? Why haven't I tried everything? You know, something like that. Like, mm. you need to know where you're working and the people that surround you. I know. And it sounds so obvious. It sounds like they're like you posed already a few solutions just working with the community. You know, there should be almost uh, yes. a training in the. There should be some training or regular training, regular community events. That way the community feels like they know the officers. That way the officers know, feel like they know the community. And and just to back up a little yes. bit, just, just to give people perspective of, uh, you know, who you are. Uh, Jordan Ward, you and uh, Tamar Lee, I believe, is your um, your 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 buddy's name who who organized this event called yes. the Talk, and um, yes, which by the way, that event I didn't watch every minute. I, I just didn't have time to watch every minute, but the production was amazing. The, sure, the, guests, sure. the guests were so um, they weren't just random people. They they were really uh, people that made sense to be there. And uh, it looks like uh, the, yes. mod- the motto or the mantra is expression, dialogue, and change. Uh, what does that mean to you? Yes. Well, for one, you know, when I put this together, I really wanted the people to express how they're feeling. Mm. I, I, and when I put this together, I really wanted the, the community to come together. I've been in Oxnard um, – I, my my mother was going to college at UC Riverside, so I was back and forth in Oxnard until we decided to move out here after she was done. And so I didn't feel that Oxnard was really, really together until Ahmaud Arbery mm. um, got shot and, and, and his life got taken away from him. And we did a we did a protest on Victoria and I felt ecstatic. I was like, mm. oh, my gosh, Oxnard. It was it was small group of people. It wasn't like the protest that you saw me at, which yeah, was yeah. even bigger. <laughs> um, And I was like, OK, so Ahmaud Arbery, we did that. We come together as, you know, in Oxnard like that. And that's the first time I felt like. All right, we have uh, support from one another. Mm-hmm. So when, fast forward to the talk, I wanted to give the people that same kind of support, however they're feeling. And I had a lot of questions because watching George Floyd for eight minutes with that knee on his neck, I was sitting there like thinking, what would have happened if I ran over there? And just threw myself at those officers right. so that man can at least have his life. You know, I know I go to jail. They probably would have threw the gun. They probably would have shot me or what kind of ways where I could have um, interrupted that man, you know, um, so so George Floyd could save his life, you know, could, could still have his life. And so that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to create a platform for the people. It just so happens that, uh, which I totally respect and, and I applaud the chief of police and the city manager, Alex Nguyen, mm-hmm. to come out and speak on behalf of these issues. And I totally respect them. And uh, we've had meetings with them. And um, 
I'm happy they came out. But more than that, I'm happy that they were there to listen um, and, and hear the people because the, you know, we are part of the community and, and uh, I, I really wanted the people to feel that we're moving in the right direction or what, how can you assure us of that? So we really wanted to hold the Oxnard police department accountable for actions moving forward. Not to say that they're doing these things, but just for preventative measures. Yes. Yes. And uh, you had, um, I was, I listed, I noted the people that, that spoke at that event, uh, Dexter of hip hop hell. Yeah. And, uh, and yes. surprisingly the cousin of George Floyd, Quentin Floyd, that was um, very oh, surprising. Man. I talked to him a little bit. He, uh, we spoke briefly before he went on. And, so, funny story, um, prior to the event, I had no idea he was coming. Wow. This was, uh, this wasn't scheduled. Him being there was not scheduled. Uh, I, we took a little break and, oh, uh, no, no, right when we're getting ready to start, Dexter, he's like, hey, George Floyd's cousin is coming. Wow. And I was like, no way. Like, he was like, yeah, he's coming. And I was like, wow, that's big time, you know? And so I'm telling my people, you know, my staff and, and they're like, Oh, no way. You know, like, so we took like a brief, like five minutes and then boom, like there he was. And, uh, his, his speech was, 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 was powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah I saw it. it. It was touching. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I was totally surprised like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, Quentin Floyd, he um he actually got emotional. He had to walk away from the mic as soon as he started talking about his children, about having to educate them. Yeah. And and how yes. how um uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but just how the that the emotions that come over you by the fact of you having to explain this to your kids. And and I think you've actually had yes. that experience too. I I know you posted uh, some, I don't know, maybe it was a month or two ago about your daughter being afraid, mm-hmm. I think, to go to school or something like that because cops, yeah, she, she believe cops are she, killing black people in the streets. Yeah, she's afraid to go outside. Yes. And, um, which is so, so my, my kids, I, I co-parent, um, and my kids live in a predominantly safe environment and, the Pacific Palisades and uh, they don't experience stuff like this. Right. Mm. But like in their world, that stuff doesn't happen over there. But I have to let them know that you have to be mindful of this stuff. So when she's hearing this, she's my daughter's very bright and she asks the right questions. Why did they kill us? You know, why do they do it like this? Why, why, why? And then so when I, I sometimes I don't have answers for her, you know, like we're, well, I'm trying to figure that out too. I'm right with you. Uh, so she was like, I don't want to go outside, you know, and it's a shame. It's a shame that, that she has to feel like that, mm. uh, you know, and, and, and 2020 and, uh, part of me, I, like I said, and I didn't want to accept that for their reality. Mm. You know, I, I, I have to start making changes 
or we as a people have to start making changes so they don't have to grow up in that kind of sick reality. You know, yes. it's bad enough that we have to go through it. I don't want my children to go through that. And, and like, like, like you said earlier where I was oblivious to color, you know, I, um, it didn't matter to me, but all of a sudden now that this is happening, mm. you know, she, she, I have to make her aware of it. Which is it's sad. It's As a sad parental, it's sort of a parental duty, and it's a shame that it is. It's you. You might yes, feel like yeah. you're not preparing her for the world if you don't have these talks with her because she is a black person. It's exactly. No, I was like, not only that, she's a black woman, mm. which is one of the most disrespected. So I have to let her know that you're not only just a woman; you are a black woman. Yes. So, yeah. And it's interesting because uh, we're talking about, you know, how your children are afraid because of what they see on the TV. And it's it's eerily reminiscent to what you experienced. I think at the talk you reference your earliest memory being that of Rodney mm-hmm. King being beaten in the street by a group of police officers. Um, take take me right. back to that to that memory. I mean, what were you feeling when you saw that? Did you feel like, wow, that that's that could be me. That's a black person just like me. No, it's it's more of like I was so too young to understand why that man got beat over a wallet, you know, like I didn't ask, but it was all over the news, you know, like uh a lot of stuff were happening in the 90s, you know, when you're a child, but mm-hmm. that right there, you never you never forget that. And then the, but the the severity of it when I was a, like how serious it was, I didn't know how serious it was as a child until when I think about it now, I'm like, whoa, that was happening when I was a child. I'm a grown man now, you know, like, and it's still happening even worse because Rodney King didn't die, you know, yeah. black yeah, men yeah. now and Hispanic men they're you know, they're dying. And I was like, okay, I, I, this has to stop. Do you envision a world or a country or a city where there, there are always police officers there, you know, in your mind are police um, essential to the community? Do you imagine a community that doesn't have police officers? How, how do you see the future of things? I believe that police officers I believe I wouldn't say that they're necessary, but um, I do believe that a community does need policing. Now, do I believe that officers should have all the responsibility of dealing with people? No, I do not. Mm. There are people like me who are educated that know how to handle uh, homelessness, right? Or right. they know how to handle people with with substance abuse, or there's, you know, alcohol people who are, you know, or outside drunk, or uh, people with mental disabilities, intellectual disabilities. There are departments um, that, you know, the officers don't have. Neil need to have all that pressure in all those areas. Um, 
so like even if it's like domestic disputes, maybe you know there's experts on that that come out and handle situations, and it doesn't have to put a be all the pressure doesn't have to be on the officer. Right. You know, right. They're just spread too thin. They're, 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 yes. Like if if they were just literally dealing with crime, because crime is an issue. Officers deal with crime. But, you know, there's a call. I'm having a domestic dispute. OK, we'll send the domestic people out there. You know, right. We're having uh, this homeless man is giving us trouble. OK, let's figure out you know, how to help this homeless person, you know, you know, um, you know, the mental health, you know, is, is, is getting there, you know, so stuff like that, it just needs to be distributed, you know, not to say that officers don't need to be around because it could get physical and, and it could get dangerous. And I'm not saying that, but the, the de-escalation process of these, of these, uh, Incidents doesn't have to end up, you know, with somebody face down and hands behind their back and then knee on your neck or on your back or being shoved somewhere. You know, it doesn't have to end up that way. And if like the videos that we see, there's no de-escalation happening. It's either it's, it's their way or it's no way. So we need to get back to de-escalation yeah there there is just so much work to do i think some of it's frankly um now that all of this is coming out it's frankly just obvious and common sense we're just seeing the problem and it's you know it's like a mechanic almost A, a mechanic can look at an engine and hear the sound and see what's happening and then diagnose it and correct it that's kind of our experience right now we're seeing these videos with people with no de-escalation mm-hmm. at all, it's like we're, you know, we're looking at the problem and we're finally imagining solutions. Um, and there's a lot of work to right. be done. And I appreciate the work right. that you're doing. And by the way, have you gotten Thank any you. Um, pushback? Because, uh, you know, for for example, one of the Oxnard protests that I went to, uh, they did not have yeah. anything nice to say about Chief Whitney. They, I mean, they were calling them pigs and all this stuff, right? I'm not saying it's right or wrong, yeah, but yeah. I'm curious if you got any pushback by having him on the stage with you. I, I did. Uh, I, well, I did prior before I did it. So I don't know if you, uh, I think you were, you were around then when, um, we were supposed to have it June 3rd instead of June 13th. Yes, right? yes. So, what happened was people were planning on showing up and rioting. And oh my gosh. <laughs> so I, 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 I had a tip from one of my friends who was there at the protest who gave me the, the, uh, the megaphone. Yeah. Yeah. And she was telling me how, um, people want to show up to this event and have signs and, yell out certain things. So I right. had to make a video. I said, listen, we are all about solutions here. Um, if you're not about solutions, please do not show up. And I had to set the tone because at the time, the rioting and looting and stuff was big across the, across the nation. So I think people were looking at that feeling like, okay, well, Oxnard needs to get 
the police department needs to get set on fire. I had a woman comment, I think it's still there on one, on one of my posts, <laughs> that I sound like a police officer. Wow. She said I sound like a police officer, which in my in my take, she made I think she meant to say like I sound like an Uncle Tom. Right. Um right. and I was like, whoa. Like so I DM'd her back. I was like, hey, uh so by me trying to figure out solutions, you're you're calling me this like I sound like a police officer in reality, like what are your uh like protesting is cool. I love protests, but for me, what's happening after the protest? It just so happened mm. that the talk and after the protest we did on that Saturday where you saw me, yeah, yeah, leads to the talk. It it's it's a and it and what I loved about that protest that day is that we didn't see not one police officer. Yeah, yeah, not one. Did you see one? Yeah, no, I didn't. Not not at that one. The the next one, I think there were, but so yeah, because July third, what the the people who were against me made a flyer and said we don't want to talk to the police. Mm. So for me, that was a direct shot at my event, right? Yes, they didn't want to have a sit down. But my whole thing is, what is your solution? Because these same people who are wanting to protest, protest, protest. They have no solutions. So right. I'm forward thinking. I'm not going to do put my energy into something that's not going to have a positive outcome. So we can protest all day, all day. But if we're not talking to the right people to make change, then what is the point of that protest? So the talk for me was a progressive act. Whether you believe the officers or not, it's still moving forward to create change. Yes. Um, yeah, I think I, I imagine the difference is that uh, you're willing to work with the system and to at least have mm -hmm. people seated at the table to discuss this, both sides, as opposed yes. to maybe some of the activists that just simply don't believe the system can work for them and that they just want to topple it over. Would that, is that a fair exactly. statement? That's very fair. Yes. Very uh, fair. Well, uh, I just have a few more questions. I, I, I get the feeling that we could just talk forever and, and I, and I love that feeling. Oh, for sure. I love that feeling. Maybe yeah. we can do it again. Um, but maybe we can sort of just, oh, end for this, sure. uh, we can end this talk with just sort of honoring your grandfather and, um, and and I and yes. why why that touched me so much? You posted something recently about him, and it touched me because uh, my yes. grandfather passed away from uh, lung cancer in 2016, and he was like my father. You know, I have all, to hear that. I have yeah. all these early memories of him, and um and I'm curious how similar your experience is to mine. Um, how what what role did your grandfather play for you? Oh man, my grandfather was. You know, he, he, from the stories, you know, he would tell me as a child, you know, he was like a, almost like a savior. <laughs> but most importantly, we created this, um, really good bond that was unbreakable, unshakable, uh, bond that we created. And, you know, from what I'm hearing, like he wasn't most he wasn't like a kid person, you know, he wasn't <laughs> like a 
<laughs> but you know, me being his first grandchild, like he became like this <laughs> this kid person, and and they would tell me how when I was three and he he never traveled with kids, but he took me to you know on a plane with him back to Connecticut, and he would tell me all the stories on that plane where. Everyone was like in awe of me and they wanted to hold me. And he said, I lit up the whole plane, you know, stuff like that. And, um, you know, those, those memories, like I wish that I had in my memory bank, you know, cause he made it sound so special, you know, just, and, and growing up, you know, uh, he was an electrician. So <laughs> I got to see his, him him with his trade and and he approached the electrician business like it was just the easiest job you know mm. um just watching him work did he like to work and but he y'all he loved it he the way i've never heard anybody speak about electricity <laughs> the way he spoke about it you know um he was like a he he made electricity like a like a passion mm. you know um and he would tell me about like uh you know like uh, like he didn't really give me like the history of like Nikola Tesla or or you know um uh, you know Edison and all that kind of stuff but the way he talked about it he was so passionate about it um but he made it look easy and you know uh, you, you hear all these bad things about electricity and how fast it is and how it moves. And he wasn't afraid of anything like that. You know, he just went in there and did his business. But what's cool about him is, you know, he used to do, he used to do a lot of work for the, um, for the, uh, for the, uh, greenhouses and stuff like that. Mm. You know, so those same Hispanic men that are working in the greenhouses too. Oh, wow. When he started, I tell you, he, he started breaking out Spanish and talking to them. I was like, whoa, like, like that's something that I always found out something new about him. You know, like, uh, he would like start talking Spanish to these men and, and he, he had their respect. And, and I think that's where I got it from. Cause you know, wow. like it, it no matter, no matter like, like how you're working or who you are or whatever. Um, you know, he was just kind to everyone. It, it didn't matter. So I took that same mentality, like everyone's still a person, bro. Like it doesn't matter, you know, your status or whatever. Did he, you know, we're all equal. Did he influence you in, in terms of how you are raising your own kids? You know, the way he was with you, is there anything about that relationship that kind of drips into your relationship with your kids? Yes. Um, I, I think how, how open he was with conversation with me, just talking to me about everything is something that I do with my children. Mm. It's not so much that I'm like how I view having children is, is almost like how he viewed it. Like I'm not uh, sure I am a parent. Technically, but I'm also raising individuals. I'm, I'm not just trying to, 
you know, want them to be like me. I want them to just be overall good people. And that's what I felt like I was getting from him. Um, you know, just, just a person who's just open and sees things and, uh, just being an overall good person. And, uh, but also, you know, like knowing your worth, you know, and mm. he's, uh, he, this man would, I'm telling you, if, if he, if you were unsure of yourself as a person, he would clean that up for you. <laughs> you know, he will let you know how special you were as a person and you, what you could do is limitless. And I always, always would cherish that. And then there was a point where even though, you know, up until his death, when I would see him, he would always let me know how amazing I was, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I, you know, it's to the point where like, Oh, I didn't need those words anymore because I mm. know it because he was telling you that from jump. <laughs> and, uh, that's something that, that I do for my children as well. Um, I keep that, keep that going with them. Did he get, did he live long enough to see your success? I mean, you got a bachelor's and master's and you're just this figure. Um, did he live long enough to see that? Uh, yes, he did see me, you know, receive all my accolades and they did know about it. I don't believe he got to see the talk though. Mm. I don't believe he did. I think he, he was alive, of course, when that happened. Um, just towards the end, but just towards it, I don't know if he got a chance to watch it, uh, or, or heard the buzz about it. Um, and I didn't get a chance to speak to him about what I did. So With, I'm not sure, <clears throat> but all the rest of the stuff, yes. And do you think, uh, obviously a silly question, but do you think he was proud of you? Oh, mo most definitely. Yeah, I, I do. I know it in my heart and that's what brings me peace. Like <laughs> I know that I, I represented him, um, and exceeded his expectations. <laughs> And, and, and to, to carry on his name, um, which what, whatever I continue to do will continue to make him proud. And, and, uh, so yes, I, I do believe that, you know, he was very proud. Yes. Uh, Jordan Ward, you just have this, um, magnetic presence even through a phone call. And, um, I hope someday, you know, when COVID's over, we can have some coffee sometime or something. Um, oh. Oh, more than I'll be more than happy to do that, bro. No problem. Uh, I just have one more question for you, and you can answer it any way you like. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Ward, who sure. the hell are you? Ah, uh, who is Jordan Ward? Let's see, man. I used to always say that I'm just a cool, calm, and collected person. Um, but now I'm just say. That Jordan Ward is just a person that's for the people, is for peace and understanding, and uh, a person that loves to learn and learn about others, and you know, uh, just just trying to do right and and go about my purpose in the right way. So that's who I am. Bye.